all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Lieutenant Commander in the Navy Reserve, Amy Forsyth, but we really want to talk about some of her early part of her career because she's been in the military, both active duty and in the reserves for about 30 years. Amy, welcome to Veterans Radio. Oh, thank you, Jim. Great to be with you today. Well, this is uh, interesting because you've had a fascinating career as a military combat photographer and in the public affairs area, and you've really been all over the world. But let's back up. How did a nice California girl like you end up in the military, and specifically the Marines? (laughs) Well, thanks. Yes, um, I was born and raised in Northern California, just north of San Francisco. And, you know, I kind of grew up in the backdrop of San Francisco back then in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s was a real military town. The Navy and the Marines had bases there. And the big fleet week demonstrations, the flyovers, the demonstration. And uh, I I grew up with that, but my grandparents also served. So my grandfather was a Marine and my grandmother was an army nurse and they met during World War II um, in the Island uh, Pacific Island hopping campaigns on the Island of Guam and Saipan. And so I I spent a lot of time with them and heard their stories about service and the war and, um, I just was drawn to it always. I just felt that this strong calling uh, to join the Marines. And at the time, in the late 80s, early 90s, it really was not very popular uh, thing to do. But I was drawn to it. And um, luckily enough, I was healthy and able to serve. And, and so I hunted down the recruiter and told him I wanted to be a Marine. And so um got me in, got me a seat in a very prestigious role as a combat correspondent, a military journalist. And I just pursued my passion of storytelling and sharing the courage it takes to serve in the, in the military. 
and was able to really um, master using a camera and learn how to tell stories. So it's interesting because it isn't a typical career path, right? It is particularly for Marines. Everybody's trained to be a rifleman. Was it something that you said, hey, I want to be uh, a photographer, I've got this skill set, or you got to teach me a skill set, or how did that passion uh, develop? Well, you know, I was sort of always interested in journalism. I was on, I look back now and go, what, what point did I get interested? I was on the yearbook staff in my high school and I love taking photos and I love people. You kind of got to be a people person and curious, always got to be curious about how things work, what's the backstory. And so that's really, when I found out that the Marine Corps had this type of job, I said, I can be a Marine and tell stories, that was a perfect combination for me. So uh, movies like uh, Full Metal Jacket with uh, a character named the Joker, who was a combat photographer, combat correspondent in Vietnam, that was sort of a, made a big impression on me. And other movies, of course, like Top Gun and that era in the 80s of um, when the military was having a resurgence of attracting, you know, the next generation. I was uh, uh, very intrigued. So when you went into the Marines and went down this career path, was this at the time in your mind in lieu of college, uh, complementary to college? Hey, this is how I'm going to get to a college degree. What was what was that part of the thinking? Yeah, you know, I admittedly, I was not a very good high school student whatsoever. I, I went to an all-girls Catholic school, and so very competitive. Girls went on to college. That was the goal. Very, very strong emphasis on going to college. But I didn't have the means, and I did not have the grades at all to do that. And so um, although I joined the Marine Corps when I was 22, which seemed very much older, so I did work and I made an attempt to go to junior college because my parents were like just try to go to college first if you don't like that then join the military join the marines so I did and you know it was just a calling and I just didn't want to have any regrets and so I made my way through about two years of school in four years uh, and it, I just felt that if I want to do this I'd better do it at an earlier age than later so the timing was right for me it was just after desert shield desert storm and i was so inspired and motivated by what i was seeing on tv and i was just so drawn to it so i got in the pipeline at, at the age of 22 joining the marine so i was one of the older ones but um ironically enough i ended up le leaving once i left active duty i ended up graduating from college going on to get my master's degree so i always say i was sort of a late bloomer so while i wasn't necessarily focused on college right after high school i just think i needed to travel and get out of my hometown and work and and really learn some um, work ethic and meet some people then i was ready for college and to sit down and settle down and uh make those studies happen so i ended up getting my degrees but just in a different order i well, reordered that yeah uh, so we, first, yeah we see a lot of people who do that who serve and then they go to college and in your instance you went on to get a master's of science in global leadership that in part i'm sure was uh prompted by you'd been all over the world in your assignments as a combat uh, correspondence and photographer tell us some of the assignments that you had 
Well, sure. So um, my first duty station actually was at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, the Navy base in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So this was just coming off the movie A Few Good Men, if you recall, where um, the scene was set on the base. So I was a little worried about what to expect, but I served there working in the radio and television station that was there meant for the troops. And just so happened that the year that I was there, we had a big mass exodus of Cubans and Haitians that came to that tried to come to America. You might remember your listeners might recall the big exodus. It was in 1994 and um, it was just an amazing experience of learning real world operations, how we conducted humanitarian assistance. The Coast Guard was out picking up people at sea, bringing them back to the base and we had a full humanitarian operation going on. And so I was out there taking photos and videos and on the air every day reporting. So it was really my first duty station introduced me to the big world of joint operations. And I got to interview a lot of senior senior people and um, see how that worked in, in that environment. And from there, I came to Camp Pendleton and served um, from there and traveled Within the States, it's covered different exercises, but then once 9-11 happened, that really changed the trajectory of my career where I had left active duty after eight years, but stayed in the reserve so I could finish school. And then I was mobilized to Afghanistan and uh, mobilized to Iraq twice. And then um, I went, I switched from the Marines to the Navy. I had finished my master's degree and then someone told me about a commissioning program. So I went into the Navy as a direct commission officer and a public affairs officer, even though I really did not want to leave the Marine Corps. I love the Marine Corps, but at the end of the day, you really have to look at what retirement means and how you can continue to serve. I continued to serve as a PAO public affairs officer. And then that brought even more opportunities for two more deployments to Afghanistan and then other deployments to places like Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Romania, Poland, and so just these amazing opportunities that I just continued my career and found ways to serve in the reserves that sometimes led to an active duty um, length of time, but it was really, when you're on active duty, you don't know what is going on in the reserves, and it's really the best way to continue serving without making it a full-time requirement. So I got to cherry pick some really great assignments on top of Afghanistan, Iraq deployments. Well, particularly those islands in the Pacific, you had to feel like a little bit, hey, I'm reliving what uh, grandfather and grandmother did as a grandmother in particular as an army nurse over in Guam. So uh, there is a, a, a line connecting these dots, isn't there? I know. Well, surprisingly, so as a civilian, I took a civilian job working for the Department of Defense. I had been working in TV as a TV reporter in San Diego, and a job opportunity came up to go as a civilian worker, a federal employee, to the island of Guam to report on the large-scale exercises going on in the Indo-Pacific area. And so I took that job, and my husband and I moved to Guam at the same place where my grandparents met. And so it was very uh, full circle for me to get to the experience to 
live and work there and then travel from there all over the Indo-Pacific area. So, and I used to joke with Guamanians um, that live there, I would say, you know, although I'm not Guamanian and I'm not from Guam, but my roots are here because they met on Guam. My grandparents met. And then when the war was over, they came home and got married and had six kids. And so uh, I have pictures of them on the beach. I have pictures of them, you know, um, with their, with their military units um, in Saipan and on Guam. And so I'd always heard those stories. And then for me to actually go there on assignment as a federal employee was just so um, just incredible experience for me to get to walk in the same places that they walked and see the remnants of war and the war memorials that are on Guam. A lot of people don't know that much about it. And I certainly didn't know that much about it. Um, but they've preserved a lot of that World War II history that is Guam. And Guam is part of the United States. They're all Americans there. And so it is the homeland. <laughs> I think I hear the next book being developed. <laughs> possibly. Possibly. It's in my back po- back pocket. Yeah, you know? ab- ab- absolutely. So um, uh, what uh, the, the way that... Um, Amy's book came to me uh, is really uh, something I want to touch on as well because she was honored by being inducted into the San Diego County Women's Hall of Fame uh, this year as a uh, as a combat photographer and 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 so that was another way in which your story, uh, which is pretty unique, got to be shared with other women, other girls, other families in the area. Uh, give, give me a little bit of how your reaction was to get inducted. Oh, I was just so flattered, um, really, that they would take the opportunity to recognize that people who share stories um, about our military um, can be recognized in that way. And, you know, not rich or famous, not working for a big media production house or a TV station or a cable news network or anything like that, but rather the content that I've created or that I've acquired over the years, such as combat footage and photos of Marines and service members in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, that those are all being archived and made available for historical reference, uh, education. People have reached out from production houses, video documentary film companies asking for more footage. Um, And so that those images while they're most recent, you know, in the t- past 10 or 12, 20 years, but that for years to come, they'll be available for people to use. And so really, I look at myself more of a documentary person, I'm documentarian, because we want to be able to go back and learn from what was going on at the time and being able to preserve those stories to look back in time. Um, that's what really makes me most proud is that um, being able to capture a moment in time where those service members can reflect on their own service and then make it available to the media or for people to research later if they want to go back and write their own book or produce a video documentary. A lot of the footage myself and other people who captured that can make that available for the archives to really educate and inform future generations. So being so proud and being here in San Diego, I live and work in San Diego now. And after being abroad for so many years, coming back to where I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, 
just means the world to me that they care that much about recognizing the history and the documentary side of the military. Well, and it's really important because so few people serve. The the number has shrunk so dramatically since uh, World War II or even Vietnam and currently in an all-volunteer force. You ha- we have to be able to tell the story of what service is about so that others want to continue to serve. And you touched on one of those things that I don't think get enough play. The, the nightly news will do a great job of capturing the war efforts, but they never do much on the humanitarian efforts. And you sort of mentioned that. You've seen that throughout your career, and I think you've documented that. Yes, indeed. You know, any military operations, whether it's combat operations or a humanitarian relief or disaster or some way that troops are involved, called into action, documenting that and making it available for either the commanders to review or sharing within the military or nowadays when we have digital storage we can upload video and photos directly to a server and then the media who media can access it like your local tv station so what we try to do is pair service members with their local hometown TV stations. I did a lot of this in Iraq and Afghanistan. I had a satellite dish I would take around to the different camps near in Fallujah and Ramadi and places like that and in Afghanistan where let's say if someone's from Houston, Texas, we would call, we would connect with the local ABC affiliates in Houston and say, Hey, we've got a Sergeant here. Can we do an uplink? And they always wanted to talk to soldiers or marines sailors airmen who are on the ground somewhere and so making those hometown connections where those hometown tv or newspapers can't go to the front lines and so we would be acting on their behalf to make sure that we are telling those stories of hometown heroes and so uh, a lot of connect hundreds hundreds of connections to hometowners where we were helping um, that person kind of feel like a hometown hero because the parents would watch and then the high school principals and their all their kids that they went to high school with they would all watch and really bring it back home again so um that those service members can feel uh proud of their service and it it goes a long way and i i heard numerous stories of hey my parents saw me on tv and you know my old english teacher saw me and thank you for making that connection. And so we had the technology to do these uplinks while deployed. And so it just really made a big difference. But we would go out and get footage, photos and video of that Marine doing his job, his or her job. And then we would supply that to the TV station so they could really make a a very interesting and rich story about the work that they were doing in Iraq or Afghanistan, for example. Yeah, and so so much of that is at the personal level or humanitarian level that we just don't see enough of. So that's a that's a great format. Well, in in 2022, you decided, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this book out the door called "Heroes Live Here: A Tribute to Camp Pendleton Marines Since 9/11." Let's start with talking about why. And I'm going to ask you to also tell us how long it took, because the photographs are fantastic in this thing. So that that I'd expect. But tell us a little bit about the motivation for it. Oh, thank you. Well, as I mentioned, you know, I came back from Guam after five years of being away. And 
was wor- working on Camp Pendleton as a civilian public affairs uh, officer and driving through base. And I just noticed all the new memorials as tributes to those that were lost over over a 20 year span, really, from the very start of 9-11. And I just started taking a couple photos here and there. And I thought maybe I'll send it to my Marine friend that I served with or um, go start families who haven't been back to the base to be able to see these memorials. And we also had a very special memorial for a friend um, and a fellow Marine that we lost on one of my deployments. Her name was Major Megan McClung. And when we got back from deployment, we put a rock with etched with her name on the top of the hill where we would always go and run on this ridge line that she liked to run. And so that's just one memorial, even though we weren't really supposed to put the rock on there because it's not sanctioned. But there were many sanctioned and approved memorials that nobody has seen before because you can't have access to the base normally if you don't have an ID card. And so I started taking more and more photos and learning more and more backstory. And I did some research and found out that more Marines from Camp Pendleton were either killed or injured in Iraq and Afghanistan than any other one base or station in America. And so that's a heavy burden for any one community in, in our country. And so just knowing throughout the 20 years that the bulk of the combat forces and the troops had this constant and continuous rotation to Iraq or Afghanistan through the years, just um, an amazing testament to the ongoing support that Marines at Camp Pendleton were, were making. And so I put it all together. A lot of the, most of the photos are mine from either Iraq or Afghanistan and the photos I took while I was on base, on base uh, showcasing and sharing with people really the, um, the tributes that, that have come as a result of Iraq and Afghanistan and the connection points that some people that are, you know, people know about um, and the stories that they may not know about. So spanning 20 years, what I learned too is that some of the very first troops to be killed in Afghanistan right after 9-11 and then the very last troops to be killed in Afghanistan all came from Camp Pendleton. And so you can remember when you last um, in August 2021, when the evacuation was happening in Afghanistan and we got word that troops on the ground were killed and literally within minutes, Jim, within minutes there, once we realized that 10 of them were from Camp Pendleton, those Marines were from uh, a unit on Camp Pendleton that people started bringing flowers and balloons and memorials and flags to the front gate of the base and as a testament. And so the book was already written and at the printers. So I, I pulled back the, the manuscript of oh the, the book yeah. so I could include that to honor them as the final chapter and the closure of um, the saga of Afghanistan and then the Marines at Camp Pendleton's involvement. So uh, it was a labor of love, I'll tell you, but uh, I somewhat took the self-publishing route because I didn't really even try to pitch this to like a big publishing house because it's very niche and I just didn't think they would get it. And so I was able to maintain a lot of the creative control, although I had a layout and design team and an editor and um, someone helping me with the business side. But I feel very good that 
I didn't need to use that. I've just been, it's just sort of happened organically and people have been very happy and gold star families and fellow Marines have been very supportive. And so I'm very grateful for that. Oh yeah. And it's a fantastic book. It's not a, it's not a typical coffee table photograph book. There are stories in, in this throughout uh, letters, uh, different uh, d- different individuals wrote sections. Um, there's history uh, in it. Uh, a great photo of uh, the horse sergeant reckless. Photos of the of the memorials, the gardens, the dogs of war. I mean, it just it, it's it may not seem as broad as it is when you just say this is what the title is. But it's mm-hmm. it's really something, and I and I uh, hope it's getting great play among the Marines from not only Camp Pendleton, but everywhere. Well, thank you. Yes, you know, there's so much rich history also at Camp Pendleton from the early days, even before it was a base. It was part of, you know, that old California history. And on the base, they really tried to preserve some of the buildings and um, structures that represent that. But yes, even the more memorials and tributes to Marines that served during World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and then, you know, the Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And so for every generation, there's some bits of tributes on the base. And so for the next generation to feel inspired and, and not lose any of that history was important. And so putting it all under uh, one title and and show, showcasing that for for people who don't know that much about the base and there's a map in there too that would take someone on a windshield tour to drive around and and find these memorial gardens and these special tribute places because the base is quite large it's 125,000 square acres and so it's spread out from top to bottom it probably takes about 45 minutes or an hour to get uh, that loop road all the way around. So it's quite large. Well, and and uh, let's tell folks how, if they're interested in obtaining a copy of this, they can do that, Amy. Absolutely. So I love to be able to sign books for people because I think that just means so much more to people. But they can go to the website, heroesliveherecom and place an order there and learn more. And that come, that order comes straight to me where I can ship off a signed copy of the book. And of course, it's on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and that'll come straight from the printers. But I love to also um, engage with people and uh, be able to sign a copy if they want to make a purchase that way. So let me wrap this up because all good things come to an end here, Lieutenant Commander. Uh, how much more time do you have in the uh, Navy Reserve and, and how many years in your career will you have all total? Well, thank you. I just went over 30 years of total service and I'll have about three more years in the Navy Reserves, and then I'll be eligible for my pension, my reserve pension. And so I am looking to maximize the last three years and really just enjoy and savor those last couple of assignments. I'm currently assigned to a Special Operations Command, assigned to uh, the headquarters in Europe, in Germany. So I'm looking forward to my summer training evolution in june and this recording that way so just a few more years and i'm i'll be enjoying the last few years and making sure that i pass down any information 
to the next generation and pass the torch. And, uh, you know, they have a, a lot of complex challenges ahead of them in that next generation. So now is a real, the real time where us who are kind of aging out and moving on need to pass down the information to set them up for success. Oh, absolutely. And you've seen such a shift in storytelling as a military combat correspondent and photographer from an age when they used cameras with film to this whole digital media now, which is a whole new thing. And and as a 22-year-old uh, California girl, uh, not really thrilled with community college joining the Marines, you could never have envisioned it uh, would end up this way. You'd have such a great career and you'd publish Heroes Live Here, a tribute to Camp Pendleton Marines since 9-11. It's been quite a ride, hasn't it been, Amy? Oh, it really has. I could not have imagined that I would have stuck it out this long. And as you mentioned, some of those early days for me, you know, working in the dark room and splicing tape, literally splicing tape for a radio show in Guantanamo Bay. And so being a part of that transformation in in our media world and working with media and telling those stories through the years, it really just, I have so much pride and just feel so lucky and grateful for those opportunities. And, uh, you know, on many days I wanted to quit, but I didn't. And uh, for the good of just being able to be the one to tell the story, because if not me, then who? And, you know, there's a lot of great up and coming public affairs officers and uh, enlisted uh, craft, really creative and talented uh, media storytellers out there who are going to take things to the next level. But uh, I've been on such a great ride and uh, met so many great and wonderful people that just really shaped the my career. And I just couldn't ask for a better uh, final tour. But transitioning to the veteran space, you know, there's so much room for growth and so many ways to help um, help those veteran families and, you know, be a part of that uh, next generation of military veterans. There's so many great stories still left to tell. So as you are doing. Uh, Absolutely. With, with, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing veterans radio now for uh, 20 years. Uh, there is never a shortage of really interesting people to talk to and interesting stories to get out there and preserve uh, so that some other young uh, girl might say, you know what, I really like uh, social media stuff. I wonder if I could have a career in uh, the military uh, areas in public affairs. And the answer is yes, you can. Uh, don't be afraid to give it a try. Amy Forsythe, yep. thank you for taking time this afternoon to spend it here with Veterans Radio. Congratulations on a great career and enjoy this last uh, tour and enjoy uh, the, all the accolades that come with the book, Heroes Live Here, a tribute to Camp Pendleton Marines since 9-11. Oh, thank you, Jim. Great to be with you and, uh, and talk to your audience today and proud to be a veteran and look forward to connecting with, with people. If they want to connect with me on LinkedIn or even on Instagram, I love connecting with other veterans. Thank you so much. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook, 
and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level, and continue to support keeping Veterans Radio on the air. And until next time... You are dismissed.